You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen of the loyal Locked On Seminoles following, welcome to a very, very special episode. I'm your host, Max, and in just a minute, I'm going to be joined by, well, one, a special guest, but two, someone that I've admired for years that I know Drake admires and um, that Dave is a big fan of. You know, one one really cool thing about this pod is that we're, we're straight up with y'all. You know, we are, uh, we are fans first, you know, we do the journalist thing on the side, but one perk of that is that we get to, we get to meet some people that frankly are, uh, are part of the reason we got into this business, if you will. I've been a, a listener of the Nolcast for probably five or six years. I've listened to it weekly, which means, you know, I've probably spent, you know, 250 plus hours with Bud and Ingram. It was pretty cool, as you can imagine then, for us, me and Dave and Drake, well, I guess it was me and Drake. Dave was unfortunately away on business, but he was there the last time to get to sit down with Ingram, not once on our old pod, but now twice. So in just a moment, I'm going to kick it over to me and Drake and Ingram Smith of the Nolcast. If you don't know who he is, I I highly, highly recommend that you head on over and check out the Nolcast after you're done with this episode. Again, we're content creators. I love what we do. If you love what we do, like, follow, give us some reviews, but you're here because you like the content. If you want probably probably the best evaluation of recruits, not of what Florida State's doing in recruiting. There's another source that does that. But if you want the best evaluation of player talent, in my opinion, uh, go to the Nolcast. Ingram does a great job. And in just a couple seconds, you're going to hear why we have so much reverence for him. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to myself, Drake, and Ingram for part one of this very special interview brought to you by rockauto.com. Boys, Take it away. Whoosh. That's exactly where we're at. Notre Dame. And then that's kind of, we'll yeah. see. I think honestly, it's going to like, I hope this doesn't happen, but if it's like another Virginia tech, I'm probably, that'll be the only one I go to. Yeah. Get- I'm a little worried about that because they're, um, you know, they're, they're, first of all, that kind of naturally happens just from excitement. And, and then you've had this bizarre circumstance where nobody's been to a game in a year and uh, yeah. the vast majority of the fan base hasn't been, uh to a game in a year um no i did i remember in 2018 like i got on an airplane i had my fsu shirt on some guy was like hokey nation to me and i was like <laughs> what are you talking like we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna beat the shit out of your team like it's not even i remember vividly coming home on like saturday or friday night before that game that weekend like drunk at my friend's house and literally just being like look we have two of the best running backs in the country. Like if we just hand the ball off every time mm. we're guaranteed to win 10 <laughs> games. I literally thought that I was like, yeah. just, every three times handed off, like we'll win 10 games and we might lose to Clemson on that. And, uh, and then Monday night happened. So that was um, the, the quietest anyone in my friend groups ever been. We walked from dope Campbell back to a loft hotel in absolute silence. Yeah. Like, it literally like felt like we showed up to our wedding and then not a, like, instead of not being there, the bride was like marrying our best man. And we were like, what, wait, that's not how this weekend was gonna, gonna go. 
So do you feel like in, in anyway, I say that because now, you know, we kind of hear first it was, what if we could beat Notre Dame mm-hmm. and being the beat that we are, it almost feels like a lot of people have decided that that's like a super realistic possibility. Yeah. Like, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that game and what the repercussions are. If we let the hype train get out of control and we don't win and just, just how you're viewing that game. weekend. Yeah. So that's a good, uh, I think you bring up a great point, Max. I think, I think this originally has been kind of thrown out there of, Hey, you know, uh, Notre Dame loses a lot. What if we kind of ambush them? What if we catch them early to all of a sudden this kind of sliding expectation of, yeah, we got a pretty good chance to beat Notre Dame in that game. And that's uh, that's dangerous. Certainly. Um, you know, like I said, a little bit, I'm not, I don't want to say worried. It just catches my attention that we are also pushing a lot of our chips in from the recruiting standpoint, you know, it looks like we're aggressively trying to put together a pretty banner recruiting weekend. And look, you, you have to, right. You can't, you can't not have that game in that situation and not try to capitalize on it. So um, I'm saying all this with the, you know, a hundred percent recognition that uh, it's probably the right thing to do. And probably the same thing that I would be doing if, you know, in some crazy series of circumstances, I was the head coach at Florida state. So I get it. Uh, I just, you know, as a fan base and, always talking to college football fans and uh, <laughs> wanting their greater level of reason is, uh, is a, a definite hundred percent, you know, thing that's going to happen, but yep. you just can't trick ourselves. And, and, you know, even um, what was different or what I hope is different is that even, uh, you know, if you go out there and you play Notre Dame and you lose great, it's just, we all had these crazy things in our mind as to what the Taggart era was going to look like and all this free flowing open form play. And then you go out there and you can't, you can't get a first down for the most part. And when you do score a touchdown, you probably run a play too quickly for it to be reviewed and <laughs> given credit to you uh, as such. And you, you know, you, you have, you got this kind of cool thing in the back of your mind with a wild cam, and then you run it at this bizarre situation um, and it backfires and you know you go away from that which i think was a a big mistake in retrospect blah 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 there's parallels it concerns me uh nonetheless everything else that the program is doing right now is such a distant juxtaposition as to where they were with the taggart air that uh you know maybe maybe we just have to separate ourselves from those concerns but i I think we're certainly right to know them i mean that's good to hear because like i mean i mean i'm one of the people that is like in that camp where not only am i drinking the kool-aid that we have a good chance of being norm i'm making i'm making it and serving it up on this podcast once a week twice a week probably so then how because i know it is a big recruiting weekend and then for virginia tech we had that's probably the main reason why we lost cave on thibodeau was that just that game how how detrimental if we just get absolutely just embarrassed and shellacked against Notre dame would that just be for not only the, that class as a whole but just probably for the 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 rest of the season than maybe for Mike Norvell's tenure? Yeah, it's a good question. And it shouldn't be, but it, you know, things uh things that shouldn't be aren't necessarily as they play out in life. Man, that would be tough. It would be really tough. I mean, it's going to be a sellout game. Uh, just like when you and I were talking, um, you know, you, the conversation that we had about, hey, I'm going to the Notre game. And from that, I'm not sure as far as what our plans are to attend games this year. That's the same thing answer I get from all my friends, uh, all my peer group, you know, I mean, we're all going to the Notre Dame game and then we'll try to figure it out from there. So I just, you know, you just can't leave that game with the air deflated from the balloon in the manner that the Virginia tech game was right. And, and I don't know what that looks like exactly, but 
I do think there's still a some modicum of patience for this fan base as far as what Norvell's inherited, what he's going through. He's certainly done all a lot of steps, uh, you know, behind the scenes to ingratiate himself to as many people as possible. At the same time, you're talking about meeting in small groups of four to six people. You know, I mean, even <laughs> you can meet with three to three groups of people a day. You're only going to get so much ground covered uh, with the past circumstances that have been there. But a long-winded way of saying that, yes, I think there is a distinct threat that there is at least some similar feeling uh, if Florida State goes out there and just gets slapped by Notre Dame, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but there's still some, you know, pretty significant levels of deficiency on this roster. And I think going into that game, thinking you're going to win, or necessarily thinking that it's even going to be a five-point game, I would, I would, you know, tamper those expectations. I think that's normal. Like at this point, especially in the off season, and it's going to get worse as the season approaches, and we do season previews. You know, it's so easy to talk about the good. And just sort of gloss over the bad. So you kind of get this. Um, I, will, I mean, you've been doing this a lot longer than we have. You know, people don't want to just hear negative, negative, negative. So you're inclined to talk about the positives, And that kind of leads to the sense of like, oh, yeah, we're going to be far and away improved than we were last year because I've been hearing how great X, Y, and Z positions are, kind of ignoring like position F, you know, FHQ, mm -hmm. whatever. But let me ask, I kind of want both of y'all's answers on this. From a recruiting standpoint, from a how we feel about Mike Norvell standpoint, maybe not us, but the general fan base, do you think the same result, like identical result to last year's Notre Dame game, you know, leading for a quarter, put up 400 yards to their 550, final score 42-26, do you think that'd be an acceptable outcome? Um. <sighs> I think there would be elements of it, you know, I mean, I, I, and I, I do this to the point to where I've honestly told Bud to like, tell me to stop if I get too lazy in doing this, but you know, there would be parallels to the Oklahoma game. Uh, if that was the point, if, if all I'm doing is my, what I vaguely reference there, if all I'm doing is trying to constantly reference what happened with Jimbo 10 years ago or whatever, and compare that to the same timeline, you know, let's not do that all the time. That's a bad idea. But uh, you know, that Oklahoma game, you had moments, you had, you know, some, to be perfectly honest with you, exceptionally lucky plays that happened, but nonetheless, are you, are you you're talking there. You're talking 2012, right? At yeah. Home? Okay. Yeah. At home. Um, so yeah, I would draw, you know, similarities there as far as where the coach is, a big time opponents coming to your house. Uh, if you play well, and if you show some, some green shoots of, uh, of recovery, from an overall perspective, yeah, I think this fan base could stomach a, a, a little bit more of a respectable loss than the score that occurred last year. Yeah, I, I kind of echo the same thing that you're saying right now because I think that's one that's – because we still have that really, really bad taste in our mouth of the Virginia Tech game from two years ago with all this hype. And we have a lot of hype coming into this year, especially with Mackenzie Millen, who's probably going to be the starter from you know what I've been hearing, what I've been seeing around everything else. So, yeah, I think the fan base actually – just to echo Ingram, sorry, I'm stealing, stealing your quote right now. But, yeah, I think we'll be fine with that. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so, sorry, by the way, I misspoke. It was 2011. I said 12, but 2011. Right. Um, that actually, it was funny because that play started going around um, Twitter last week when Clint Trickett threw, I think it was Rashad Green. He yeah. slips a tackle, gets in the end right. zone, and Clint rips his helmet off. And that was like the year they made that a penalty, kind of tucks it back in. Um but let's let's kind of let's kind of back up to last season before we get deeper into next season. So we kind of want while we're doing this state of the FS union, we're getting the 
the, the people that know a thing or two, the personalities that cover this team and have for years, how y'all are feeling about where FSU is today. So I think we have to talk a little bit about how you were feeling 365 days ago. Like what were your expectations going into this year? And, you know, I mean, obviously no one wanted three wins, but did this year go kind of how you expected it to go? Was it woefully disappointing? Was it, you know, like where, where did it fall on the Ingram meter? <laughs> Ingram meter had it at uh, a disappointing, definitely. I mean, I think I was probably naive in just assuming that there was going to be too much of a positive snapback if there is such a thing uh, from, you know, more competent coaching, more consistent uh, approach, uh, you know, that's and maybe there would have been, maybe there would have been in a traditional, you know, series of events where guys could have had access to the strength and conditioning program and year round nutrition, blah, 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 but there wasn't. So um, yeah, certainly surprised by that uh, at least to the, you know, like just look three wins and <laughs> three wins in which you don't play Clemson and you basically have to badger Duke to get them out on the field on a Saturday so that you can get your third win is, is not going to be a year in which, you know, anybody looks back on and, and sings the praises of, but you know, from that, from the end of the season, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I will say that Mike Norvell, in my opinion, has done almost everything that he could right, And, uh, and, I'm having a real hard time. I'm kind of checking myself if people may roll their eyes at this, at the, you know, traditional viewpoint of the Nolcast, or at least the perceived traditional viewpoint of the Nolcast. I'm checking myself to stop being overly optimistic right now. I mean, I think you've done such a great job on the recruiting trail. You've had some real series of events uh, fortunate that have broken your way as far as, you know, where kids are from or uh, pre-existing relationships, et cetera, et cetera. You've got as dynamic a recruit as we've seen in two or three years committed to you and, who really, uh, you know, appears to be aggressively offended if you ask him if he's considering any other school. Um, I just think it's a, you know, and then you've got this legacy tree out there that's starting to really bear some fruit and has the ability to, to really kind of tick you in the, in the right direction even further. So, you know, Mike Norvell, the individual uh, seems to have really been a good fit um, has not kind of gotten into too many mind traps after the uh, you know, the summer, and the uh, situation with Wilson and everybody else, I think he's handled a really challenging roster that he uh, inherited as well. And I think it's, uh, you know, what you would want out of a situation in a recovery, uh, I think is exactly what you see at Florida State. Doesn't mean in two years they're going to be 10 and two or whatever else, but uh, they're, they're very much kind of walking down the path that you need to, to, uh, to turn a blue chip program back into, you know, the, the, area of real estate that its fan base believes it deserves to live in oh man ladies and gentlemen i i hate to break away from this interview but you know if i'm going to break away from an interview with the one and only ingram smith it's going to be for a good reason so i'm doing it to tell y'all about rockauto.com if you're having some car trouble like i have many many times don't immediately rush to the dealership don't immediately rush to the mechanic See if it's something you could fix yourself. Some things are surprisingly easy. You just need like a screwdriver and, uh, you know, a ratchet. I guess, what you, why can't I remember right now? You know, a ratchet situation. I just got a brand new DeWalt one. It was really exciting. But this is an ad for DeWalt or my, my handiness. This is an ad for rockauto.com. So guys, I used Rock Auto to replace my headlight, my 2014 Jeep Compass a couple of weeks ago. 
actually just got rid of the compass, uh, traded it in. So it's a great time to do that. And if I hadn't replaced the headlight, well, I would have been a little further in the hole on that. So Rock Auto took care of me, super easy to navigate, always low prices, phenomenal inventory. I just looked in for my new car. It's not brand new, but um, for my new car, they have a great inventory for that too. So when something's going on, I'm going to go straight to rockauto.com and I'm going to tell them Locked On sent me. So when there's something to fix with your car, do the same, rockauto.com. Tell them Max from Locked On sent you. I mean... I think we're, there's I think there's no reason you know like not to be optimistic. I think Max can attest attested that I've been probably the more harder on Mike Norvell specifically when it comes to recruiting because like when he came in, I saw the Memphis pedigree, the group of five recruiting style. I'm like, is he another Willie Tiger? Are we gonna you know be stuck with that? But so far, I mean, the benefits which I've showed with you know Nico Marchio committing, AJ Duffy. I love the Travis Hunter commit. Like like you said before, the man bleeds garden and gold. So then I kind of want to bring it back to one of the big, you know, surprises from the season that was the emergence of Jordan Travis. And in my personal opinion, I did not think he actually had the capability to throw, but then he kind of shoved me up a little bit towards the end of the year. Uh, do you feel that Mike Norvell was forced to start, you know, Jordan Travis begrudgingly, like kind of against what he wanted to do? Because he did start with James Blackman and then he went to Rodemaker and then he kind of settled on JT13. Or do you think he simply waited for JT13 to be simply healthy? No, I think it was by accident. It was not by design that Travis became your quarterback. I mean, I, I think they really kind of wanted to go in every other direction because that's that's not really the offense that he wants to run. And then, you know, necessity of both from uh, from a level of play from what you got out of your other quarterbacks and from where the offensive line was kind of brought you there. I mean, that that's certainly not what they want to do. Uh, maybe have elements of it, but Travis, you know, made the best of an opportunity, uh, displayed a explosive uh, ability that really nobody else on the offense has right now uh, as far as, a, you know, ability to make a guy miss in the open field and, and turn the scoreboard. Um, so it's, you know, it was, it was certainly not, I don't think it was the grand plan to bring Jordan Travis along. Uh, I think it was one that was, you know, kind of facilitated by necessity and, you know, James just went out there and had a, had a deer in the headlights moment and had, had a moment that I think a lot of people had, had warned uh, Mike that was, that was possible and he had it. And then Tate, uh, you know, in game settings has not blown away. And from what I hear from practice, he's a good player, coach's son, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but hasn't translated. So yeah, I, I think it was more Travis by necessity. And then when you realized, Hey, look, here's what we can do. Here's kind of what we have to do. Uh, Travis was the quarterback whose skill set kind of fits that Venn diagram better than, better than anybody, at least at the time. Yeah, Tate reminds me, not reminds me, but when I when I see him play on the field during a game scenario and I hear what I hear about him in practice, he reminds me of someone that's very good at golfing on a simulator. But the minute it's like real grass, wind might be blowing, you don't have an exact yardage. It might be a three or a seven instead of like 135 or 140. Like he loses, he just loses it. Like you watch the interception against Jacksonville State, like, locking onto a screen pass, not doing any kind of trickeration with his eyes or even attempting to. And, you know, I thought, okay, first game, well, you watch the spring game. It's the same thing. It's like, he looks at his number one receiver has no ability to like look at any of the rest of the field. And I, I, I don't really understand why that is. I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if it's just, you know, he was so good in high school. He never had to do like, you know, the fundamentals he was able to get away with just throwing a great ball at, I don't know, but uh, we don't have to, you know, beat up on poor old, <laughs> old uh, 
He's know. 18. May hopefully yeah, that yeah. gets better. No, I know. I, I did hopefully that, with time, you know, that ended improves. up sounding more mean than I meant it to. I just I was kind of riffing off of that point. Um, but my what I want to talk about before we move on to defense last year is do you think because Jordan Travis is so different and you have to run a different kind of offense with him not under center, what do we say now? And with him behind the center five yards, um, with him behind the center than you would someone else that Mike Norvell will have to call the ball on this quarterback race sooner than he wants to because of, you know, it'll basically be a different offense they'll have to implement in the week leading up to the game. Or do you think he'll still, you know, wait till right before the game to name a starter? That's a good question. It's not something that I had considered uh, necessarily. I mean, I don't think you're necessarily at a, a risk of a transfer portal here. So I think you could probably have a little bit more flexibility than you would, with another uh, quarterback situation, but um, you know, yeah. So that is interesting. So you're going to want to both make your decision because of who your quarterback is going to be. And then you're also going to want to make your decision as to who your second one is. So if you're going to make it and roll with McKenzie, then you want to go ahead and start developing and creating whatever package it is that you're going to feature Jordan. in. I mean, he's just too good of a player not to utilize. So, um, you know, that will facilitate some kind of diversion or, uh, or rather, you know, just an idea as to what you're going to do, a dividing uh, path as to where you want to take it. And um, I, I think you bring up a good point there. Maybe you do need to make a decision a little bit earlier. Uh, and you probably can, like I said, I, I don't think Travis is a, a transfer portal candidate. Um and and also if you're going to feature him you know i don't know that you're gonna see like a kentucky derby or something like that but you're going to want to develop a a set of plays and a set of personnel you know try to make it the most that you can out of out of that kid who i still think uh you know until maybe one of these wide receivers one of these freshman wide receivers ends up being a more explosive player but right now you know if you're going to put the ball in a guy's hands and have a chance that it ends up in a 78 yard touchdown jordan travis probably the most likely person that's going to end up so certainly want to take advantage of that as much as possible no i think that's a great point i think a way i'd package that is like jordan travis is the one quarterback you can guarantee is going to be on the field week one it might only be for two series but you have to use him for something because of his legs. So let's, uh, but real quick, let, let's, let's transition to defense. And it's funny, Drake started with Travis because he knows I'm the Travis fan. Drake hates Adam Fuller. So I'm going to I, about- I think a stronger award is I just, I'm not happy with his current uh, statistics and how he's been doing the field. So I think it's a little better. That. That's revisionist history, but we'll let you, we'll let you have oh, yeah, that, no, mild, I can't say I'm that mild. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't like Harlan Barnett. I thought he made some questionable decisions. You know, we've gotten in these heated arguments about when he switched over to the three, four, I was a big believer in like, dude, your career was on the line. If you really didn't want to do it, you should have put your foot down. But I realized that's, also me not being him saying that. So our defense got even worse last year. I mean, we went down to 90th in S&P plus, 100th in F plus, and an FEI of 108. What is, I guess just to put it bluntly, how much rope does Adam Fuller have this year? I mean, do you think, you know, because we have heard some people say, well, actually, if you watch, it was more the players and less about the calls. Um, which camp do you fall in, I guess, a blame for the terrible defense and, and how much leeway do you think Adam Fuller gets this year? Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, classifying last year's defense is something that I've struggled with significantly as far as, uh, well, first of all, I haven't been impressed, uh, and, and not that many people would be with anything that Fuller's done, uh, and, and look at him in a very 
skeptical eye at this standpoint. At the same time, uh, you can't you can't blame the kids really per se, but it certainly went off off path last year with Marvin. Uh, you know, Durden is just uh, kind of delusional as to where he is with his football game right now. Uh, that's a guy that had a unique kind of PFF grade and thought that he's a first round pick or something like that from a year ago as far as the most uh, quarterback pressures from an interior lineman or whatever. I mean, I, I just, I wonder about how coachable some of those guys were, but ultimately your coach, your job is to get the, re- the necessary response out of a group of players. So I, I can't sit here and, uh, and blame them fully. I just do think that that, that was a tough locker room, tough situation, uh, only exasperated by the pandemic and everything else. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I would be all for leaving separating from Fuller if you don't have the results that are necessary this year. It's a long-winded way of saying that I have a hard time of, of qualifying exactly how poor of a job he did last year, other than saying that it wasn't satisfactory and was really embarrassing, particularly with the talent that he had. But I uh, hesitate to put it all on him. But look, you don't you don't get coordinator positions at places like Florida State and woefully underperform and keep coordinators as long. And, and Mike Norvell is... Uh, you know, I, I don't, from what I tangentially know of Mike Norvell from afar, I don't know him to necessarily, like he's not Mark Richt, who's not going to fire Willie Martinez for five years, right? Because they had a pre-existing relationship or he's not Jimbo Fisher that I don't even know if he didn't want to let go of Rick Trickett or if he just, you know, didn't want to have the conversation. Uh, but for whatever reason, there seemed to be some level of loyalty there that was uh, to the detriment of, of the program that he was at. Uh, I don't think that would be the case with Mike Norville. I think Fuller's actively coaching uh, for his job. Is it fair? Not necessarily. Is it a uh, accurate reflection of the college football world in 2021? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, all that, right, you just said right there is music to marriage because Max is right. I don't like Adam Fuller at all. And, like, I, I was very down on his hire, I think, just from the beginning. And then so I guess that kind of, you know, beats my question. That's, did, you, did you see anything last year that gives you any hope or faith that the, you know, Defense is going to improve moving forward. I think from what you said at the beginning, no. Yeah, so. uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, man. I, I am super optimistic about the program overall, but this is where the, my level of concerns lie. Uh, it, it's with the defense overall. Uh, I don't know that you hit a home run at linebacker coach, to be honest with you. Uh, look, I, it's kind of like cool to to be skeptical of Marv right now, so I'm not trying to pile on there. There's certainly been some recruiting frustrations and I don't know that you've seen it play out uh, necessarily on the field either. Some decent pieces to work with, but when I say decent, that's not code for really good. No, I mean, they're okay, you know? I mean, there's some decent linebackers on the roster, but that's that's about it. Uh, Dix, you know, Dix looks like a first-round pick, but at times has feet of a kid that's going to be an undrafted free agent. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of things that you got to work with there, but um you know, to just be interesting, I'll say from from one individual player, and maybe this was just a couple guys who got over their skis with what this guy was going to look like, but from from where the hype didn't match, <laughs> from the hype coming out of spring or even the fall camp to what you saw on the field was Kalen Deloach. I mean, that that was a guy that a lot of people around the program told you like, yeah. hey, this guy is going to be may, maybe a starter, maybe not, but a guy that's going to see significant snaps. Uh, that you know, Kalen Deloach was a non-entity last year. Uh, I'd be really interested to see if there's anything there, uh, if they can get more from that kid. But yeah, the linebackers are a concern. You're okay along the defensive line. You've kind of filled some gaps, but not, you know, not great either. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the defense looks like. Uh, but no excuses in the secondary. You've got all the talent in the world there, and it's it's time to start having some of those kids look like what their high school bio looked like. And there's no need to apologize for interrupting me, man. Trust me, we love having you on. Just like that's I'm glad you said that answer. And especially because you, you know, brought up players that did disappoint in Marvin, you know, and Durden and on the offensive side of the ball. You got, you know, Tamora and Terry didn't play up to his skill level either. Do you do you, do you have like a sort of like I guess like a hypothesis or an idea as to why they didn't perform that way? Because I hear for Marvin and Durden, they were the scheming wasn't that great for Terry with injury issues, issues. Do you think do you have an idea of what the drop off was for them? I mean, Terry, uh, uh, yeah. So a lot of these guys just, I think, both thought they had already kind of made their money as far as the tape that they had put together. Um, and I don't I don't think so much with Marvin, but like Durden is still under the impression that I think he's going to be a first-round pick or second-round pick and evidently is actively telling people in, in Raleigh that he's, uh, he's, he's on his way out as soon as uh, – soon as he can which is good 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 to have that attitude coming in out of the portal right terry i've had people tell me it's the worst practice player they've ever seen and that you know he he terry had some nice results with with willie uh but really probably needed to be under a different staff if he was going to be successful uh i personally think terry may do okay in the nfl he's he's uh physically gifted he can play on special teams which can get you on a roster uh and that's all it takes really i mean you need to be on a roster you need to be on uh, if you're not on the 53 man at least be on the extended roster and, and have enough time in practice to flash wouldn't surprise me if terry doesn't play uh for five years it wouldn't surprise me if terry never sees a snap uh basically if he goes to a place that's a little more authoritarian has a little bit more structure and he responds well to it as opposed to how he responded this year then i think that kid's got a chance um but you know, certainly some, some mysteries as to what happened with kind of all those guys last year and uh, nothing but, a you know, it, when you heard the news that those guys were coming back and everything else, I mean, I think people really expected a, a level of play that not only did they not see, I mean, there was no even kind of delusions that they were going to see it. There were no real flashes out of Marvin. Durden was, you know, average at best and, and Terry's season was, a you know, nothing but a letdown. Yeah, I, I totally forgot until you said that the Durden transferred out. I mean, I don't think I'll miss him on the line at all. But, you know, Terry, I, my working theory on Terry as I've pondered it is that he was sort of a victim of his own success. Like you look at those physical tools and then he was what, like a three star recruit coming out. Um, yeah, at least relatively like not not that hyped up. And you kind of wonder why. Well, then in Willie's offense, like you said, he flashes. He has like eight, nine hundred yards of receiving. I think he needed someone to teach him how to actually be a receiver. But then when he had that year of success, he came into this year thinking, Oh, I'm good. I know how to be a receiver. I'm fine. You know, so I, I don't know if he was as coachable as maybe he should have been, or as like self-aware of the fact that I loved more and Terry. I respect what he went through this year, like getting his knee scoped and coming back. But the reality is I think y'all might've said it on your program. Like he is kind of a one trick pony. He's really tall and he's really fast, but it's like, if he can't, you know, can't do that one trick well that you know that might not get you on a roster so um yeah that's just kind of my working theory on terry who knows yeah yeah no he's a one-trick pony and there comes a time where coaches start to look at that as a negative i mean why why are you only a one-trick pony at this point certainly you've got the skill set to be a more well-developed wide receiver uh there were some off the field concerns there that dinged him in the draft pretty hard um you know there's some some things that uh i believe the nfl were concerned with 
oh man, we've got a uh, a really exciting um, set of stuff coming up this fall, folks. We've got football, we've got football, and most importantly, we've got football. If you like football, which is probably why you're listening to this podcast, it's a little more exciting when uh, you know you put a little skin in the game. So when uh, when the time comes, you're going to want to you know get some action going. Now you don't want to wait until then though. You want to go ahead and get some some preseason action in. Look, win totals just came out. Uh, there's some juicy ones there. That's where you bet on if a team will go under or over a number of wins for the season set by the book. Conference championship odds are out too, and it's all at betonline.ag. So go find some value by making an account at betonline.ag. Figure it out. See who they're who the book's overrating. See who they're underrating, and let that make you some money. And to give you even a little bit more change in your pocket, if you sign up right now and you use promo code Locked On, they'll even give you a fifty percent welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag promo code Locked On. So, what was the? And then we'll have like two more questions about last year, and then we'll go on to the fun. Like, let's be overly optimistic because Bud isn't here to kill our fun uh, <laughs> moments. <laughs> We, we kind of, on our podcast, you know, we kept thinking about like, what happened with Marvin? What happened with Marvin? And one thing I didn't realize just because I'm kind of bad at my job was uh, apparently he just had a horrible senior bowl. Do you think that was the main thing that hurt his draft stock? I guess he practiced like one or two days and then opted out or something. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that or at least your thoughts on why he slid? Yeah. So I, I threw this out on the Nolcast. I, I had a, a, I have a friend who's uh actively involved uh he's a position coach on an nfl team and they didn't have marvin on their board not because any tweets not because anything else but because they considered his time in mobile to be exceptionally disappointing now you know there were some people at the (laughs) at the rivals.com uh version of florida state's uh website who gave some pushback on that that i thought was uh really quite hilarious nfl teams had concern with a guy's explosiveness had a concern with a guy's ability to deal with injuries and uh he had two practices got hurt didn't participate in the other two practices of the game if that's if those are your concerns about a kid coming into a uh, senior bowl and that's what he looks like and he looked he looked like a tweener he looked like he lacked explosiveness he got handled by a variety of guards and one-on-one drills uh it was a it was a real bad year. Uh, I said on the Nolcast, real bad year to have a bad senior bowl because there's only so many, uh, you know, reflections that these guys get to have of you, particularly in a, a small setting. And uh, if their their pre-existing concerns were uh, explosiveness, and you get stalemated in practice and uh, durability, and you injure yourself after not, you know, exactly playing a ton uh, throughout the 2020 season, then yeah, red flags galore. And Marvin, uh, Marvin did him no, did himself no favors, at least in the Iowa franchise. I don't know that that was everybody's takeaway. Uh, I went back and read some more of the kind of newspaper articles and websites reviews of the um, of of uh, the Senior Bowl, and they were pretty pretty in line with what I was saying. There's a couple human interest pieces out there from uh, I think the hometown Houston paper that had him having a good super uh, senior uh, senior bowl, but for the most part, disappointing. And uh, I think that went a long way and, you know, only throwing further question marks out there. I, I had a, a guy in the Falcons franchise last year who told me 
that they had Marvin on their board, uh, middle of the second round, maybe falling into the third. I, but that was early in the process. I think, I think the concerns about Marvin being a little bit of tweener would have come up last year as well. I mean, look, he's a, he's a defensive tackle that would throw me through a wall in a second. Right. So I'm not, yeah. uh, but he's not, as far as a defensive tackle, he's not a super large physical guy and right. he doesn't have uh, a, a significant amount of, you know, off the ball quickness or explosion uh, there, there would have been, I think some concerns as to where he fit. Uh, but yeah, if he would have gone last year, I'm, I'm still pretty confident. He probably would have been a third round pick at worst. Yeah. And not only you have the, the poor senior bowl adding, but also you have the knee surgery that occurred in December, which kind of like, you know, hampered him a little bit as well, which quite honestly, definitely didn't his draft stock. But I mean, the Browns took a chance on him. He, I mean, he's the, the highest paid, I think undrafted free agent from this this class and also yes. is, making, is making more than every seventh round pick. And I think the only the top, I think 10 picks in the sixth round are making more than him. Yeah. So just hopefully, you know, he does well with the Browns. Yeah. So it looks like they got a, you know, a couple nickels invested in him and that's, that's good. I, I got a kick out of his agent saying that he won because he didn't get drafted, which is cute and an agent's job. But uh, when you, when you're, hey man, that's my girl, Nicole. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're, when you're considering being a, a first round pick 16 months ago, and then you don't get drafted hard for me to have you tweet out that he won, but uh, you know, I get it. That's what you got to do. Well, when you tilt it on taxes this way, <laughs> campaign great movie if you haven't seen it watch it with your kids kidding don't don't do, uh, don't so do i guess that. our so last two questions we're gonna put last season to bed and then we're gonna get all hyped up drake what was your rock bottom moment for this team um like what was what was your just don't say the final score to miami give us something like a little more you know a little more what, what the folks expect out of ingram what was your absolute just like this kind of moment probably the Jacksonville state game before Jordan Travis came in. Cause I legitimately thought that we were going to lose that game. And we had recorded literally me and you earlier that week from our old podcast. What's rock bottom. And you're like, maybe if we lose Jacksonville state, we haven't hit it yet. It's going to be then. Cause I legitimately thought that we we're going to lose that game when Tate Romero got picked six. And I literally was just beside myself. So yeah, that was mine. Well, unfortunately, thanks to uh, our friends at Comcast and the ACC network, it took me a full quarter to like find out how to, you know, stream the, the game bouncing through three servers in Europe and South Central Asia. But, you know, yeah. Ingram, what was what was your moment last year? Just like, oh, God, we're gonna have to watch 12 games of this. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time not saying the Georgia Tech game, to be honest with you. Uh, it was just kind of a such slap in the face as to, you know, obviously, Nothing will ever uh, parallel the the optimism that was there for the Virginia Tech game, but just an idea. Hey, look, you know, you're going to have competent coaching. Georgia Tech's not great. They're coming in playing this kid that's a freshman that decommitted to you, blah, 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 all those series of events. And then it just, you know, felt like uh, felt like the the air got taken out of the balloon. Um, uh, yeah, the Louisville game didn't even really bother me. I mean, I, I knew that the UNC game was a – you know, I don't want to say a flash in the pan, but certainly not my forever expectation. But the highlight of the season was definitely having the Clemson game canceled. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I look, I was, I was proud of us for, uh, for that one. And like, it didn't hurt that all of Twitter just piled on Dabo Swinney and like got to see that like maybe behind the curtain, he really is just like this aggravating small little man that, you know, doesn't understand things like science. And, doesn't, doesn't. And and makes $10 million and dresses like a eighth grade boy who's going to a dress and, you know, going to a 
a dance after going to the thrift shop or something like that dude i mean get a get a taylor dog what the hell i mean his draft night attire i've you know obviously what everybody wants to do is break down uh the slacks that a coach wears uh on a football podcast but his his draft night attire literally looked like a, a kid from the 90s wearing uh you know pants that were just uh had way too much cargo in them, bro. Uh, yep. No, I dude, honestly, Dabo's one of those people where no, it's not because he coaches at Clemson. It's not because he's good. Like, I respect the hell out of Nick Saban. Dabo's just like, there's something about him that's just he's not Dan Mullen level of dopey, but he's like, I mean, he's the he's the in-between of like Nick Saban on one end, Dan Mullen on the other. Yeah. Like, I I just like I've got a friend whose job is to cure cancer, right? Like he does. I'm none of us do anything that important, but his job is literally to do research and cure cancer. And like, you look at that and you realize he's making like 4% of what Dabo Swinney makes. The, the best, the, what about my favorite thing? This Swinney. is way back. This is like 10 years ago. This is the beginning of the GIF era, but the, uh, I think it's during signing day or whatever, <laughs> where they shut it, to, they throw it to uh, Clemson's, football facility at the time before it was all you know super nice and and Dabba turns around mid interview and stares at that tiger almost like he's going to talk to him or something like that <laughs> uh that is my favorite Dabo Sweeney moment oh, that's uh, hilarious yeah mine's still I mean I know Scott Powell, but my favorite Dabo moment is that he had just just the I don't know if I want to say the balls or just the I, I think it was the the like the selective, you know, dumbness to go out there after getting utterly embarrassed on his own home field and say, well, if we play our game 10 times, we win at yeah, least five yeah, of them. It's know, like win five out of 10. Definitely. I put the, the gif in the group oh, chat yeah. here. We got to uh, have a little, we got to oh, have yeah. a little quick watch I'm, of that. Being a great we'll... podcaster referencing something that two people can see right now, but that's uh, all right. Yeah. Hey. That's the one. That's the one that I was. He's literally he's just staring long. Like, what is that? Wait a minute. Can I talk to this uh, <laughs> Doctor Doolittle over here? God damn. Well, there two of them on the arc too. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Oh gosh. All right. So let's let's just let's let's while we're while we're all happy while we're all in a good mood, let's move on to something that you can't help but be fired up about right now and. And that's kind of how Mike Norvell finished out Tribe 21. I mean, he did, you know, it's fourth in the ACC, 23rd in the country. It's it's not Willie Taggart bringing in a top 10 class, but I feel like he really closed it out well. He did as well as he could have in like the last two or three weeks, given everything. And now we're seeing a ton of momentum being built into next year. So can you talk about which of the newest additions – they don't have to be early enrollees, but they can be because we saw them in the spring game. You're most excited about from Tribe 21? Well, um, really pretty much all the receivers because I, I think they all have the ability to contribute immediately uh, and to an extent almost need to. Um, I, I think that's really kind of where I would start my response there. I, th I think they really love the Burrell kid. Uh, I mean, that dude looks like, that dude looks like he's 22 and uh, not necessarily a wide receiver. Uh, but no, I mean, McLean is, is, is so far, I know, blown him away. That's all kinds of, you know, that's the, the typical kind of cliche hyperbole that gets thrown around. But uh, they really like that kid. And then, you know, uh, Hill Paison uh, is uh, somebody who has a legitimate chance, I think, to get you know, 10, 12 snaps immediately. Uh, so that, that's really where a lot of my 
excitement and optimism from that class uh, stems around. I mean, like that, I mean, that is a good thing to see. And also I think we can see with these kids right now that are coming in, they kind of have that mentality, same, they, their mentality fits a like coach Mike Norvell's mentality that, you know, it's very hard work. You know, it's a grind each and every day, climb, get 1% better every single day. And I think you see that right now with kids like, you know, a Burrell, a Jackson West, mm-hmm. the tight end, uh, Honeybun Bryson, uh, who was the Bryson, who's probably one of my favorite commits, honestly. I say, I, I call him that because it looks like, you know, he looks like a nice looking kid, but he definitely, if you try to take his Honeybun, he'll definitely smack you to get it back for. He's got the ugly mean streak you want in alignment. And then to keep going with that, I think also one thing that we also haven't touched on yet was the, the mass exodus of players that entered into the transfer portal that we've seen, you know, with, you know, DJ Matthews leaving early, early on the season, a Curtis fan, I think last week, uh, transferring out. Uh, what do you make of this hot, this high number of departures actually from the program? Do you see it as a benefit or do you see it just as like a necessary evil? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably just something that had to take place. Uh, I just think it, you know, some of those guys, uh, you know, Mike Norvell would, uh, would tell you candidly or perhaps not so candidly, those are guys that they probably never would have offered a, a scholarship to, uh, whether it be practice habits or whatever else. Uh, so I think it's better. And Hey, look for some of those, I mean, uh, that dude's up at Indiana. I think he could have a great year. I, I think he could really do himself uh, a lot of good. And I, I certainly wish him the best of luck. I, I don't know. Um, oh man, the safety that also transferred to NC state with, uh, Cyrus Fagan. Thank you. I don't, I don't I know you. that there was a ton of, uh, you know, behind the scenes, <laughs> Uh, kind of, I don't want to say bad mouthing or whispers of negativities associated with Fagan. I just don't think the level of play was necessarily there. So uh, we'll see, you know, he'll certainly have his chance to, uh, to show what he can do up at Raleigh. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think he needed to shed a, a decent amount of this roster and, you know, to an extent, a lot of that's happened. I really hope that Jordan Travis runs one of those weird little read options he runs, you know, where and then pulls it and just absolutely breaks Corey Durden's ankles against NC State. <laughs> runs like 18 yards down the field, does a late bubble pitch to a receiver, ideally Burrell, who squats 500 pounds, and he just Greg Reed's uh, Cyrus Fagan, like what Greg Reed did to uh, what's his name from South Carolina, Lattimore. Just, Lattimore. Yeah, Lattimore. At, at first, like, I thought you meant Greg Jones, but then I no, was no, like, no, no, no. He, no, but, what he's you know, the ball carrier. Yeah, he just lowers his head, busts him in the chin. He's on the ground, just walks into the end zone, and it's like, well, sorry, yeah. I hate NC State more than anything. So you transfer. I would never <laughs> talk bad about a kid for doing what's best for him. I hope Blackman. I actually love Arkansas State. Uh, what their coach went through with his wife passing away, and like going to coach the game that guy's an incredible dude indiana if you're going to be good there go for it but you transferred to nc state you're dead to me so well, anyway. in uh butch jones the tennessee state or the arkansas state guy now oh so. that's right well yeah, yeah he got hired mind. well yeah exactly and i honestly like i think james blackman could be a champion at life probably go <laughs> yeah, pro in something probably, other than sports james actually i think james a is a champion at life. at life uh i think i can we can almost <laughs> say that so he will have something there he will certainly have something to work around great uh, man james deserves i hope i hope it works out i hope james throws for i do you know, too, 1800 man. yards and um he's certainly you know there's times with james where if it's right it's real right and you know maybe uh maybe some of those pitfalls that existed where James would kind of go into a mental uh, shell of not there. And, and James can have the year that he deserves. No, I, mean, I just think James by all like, accounts, like he's a good kid, man. So just hopefully, yeah, you know, like, good the kid. change of scene, yeah. scenery actually does like help him out with Definitely. that. So, you know, best luck to him. Well, and yeah. I think some kids need to be beat up on a little bit. Like I think Jimbo, look, 
Jimbo had a Jimbo, a very Jimbo style. It's no secret that he is a tough guy to play for, but some people respond really well to that. And I just think James didn't respond well to the more laid back style of Taggart. Like I just, I, I just, I, that's to say, I don't think he necessarily got a fair shake and I hope that, you know, he's able to have sort of a third act. What's up guys. Drake here. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode with the one only Ingram Smith of the Nolcast. Please catch us tomorrow for part two of Renew with Ingram. Where we'll wrap up the transfer talk. We will finalize and or put a bow on it, as Max would say, for this version of the State of the FS Union. And then also we will ask a little personal Q&A with Ingram. So please don't forget to rate, review, follow, like, share, or subscribe either on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. As well as check out Locked On Today with our boy Peter Bukowski, or if you can't get enough of your daily sports fix. And also... Check me out this Friday on Locked on ACC with my co-host, Candace Cooper. We'll be discussing Wake Forest and the Duke Blue Devils. And also, we'll talk about who was going to be really winning the ACC this year. Spoiler alert, I will be going against the grain and not beating Clemson. With that being said, guys, take care, everybody. And we'll see you next time on Locked on Seminoles. Go Noles, baby.